0: Broadcasting live from the great northern in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington, I'm Matt.
1: I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks.
0: If you've ever wanted to know where to get the best slice of cherry pie in town, or how to place an ad in Flesh World magazine, this is the podcast for you.
1: So we're going to be talking about um, Twin Peaks. The second episode of Twin Peaks, episode one, Traces to Nowhere. Which because, is that in
0: episode two.
1: Right. The second episode, episode one. Um,
0: yeah. So this episode opens up... Uh, basically, I believe it's the morning after the events of the, the previous episode uh, capturing... Or detaining James, uh, the locket getting buried, or the, the necklace getting buried. And we start with like a, a slow pan over what we discover as it plays out is Coop's room at the Great Northern Hotel uh, and he's monologuing to Diane on his uh, his dictaphone as he hangs like a bat from the ceiling.
1: Yeah. I so one of the first things that I noticed about this episode was that it feels like Coop's like quirkiness is a lot more solidified it's a lot more like established the way it's going to be for the rest of the the series Mm -hmm. um there's
0: a ton of taxidermy
1: yeah but just that slow shot of the room and then you know he's upside down um and then he shifts into like you know he's talking about the case and then he you know unhooks himself from his you know bat thing and then um but then he turns the recorder on again, and he has that weird like JFK joke, um, which is how you put it in the notes. Um, yeah. Where he's like, there, are, you know, there are two things that bother me, not only as a federal agent but as a human being, and.
0: What really happened between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys, and who yeah. pulled the trigger on JFK? It's so yeah. weird. It comes out of nowhere.
1: Exactly, and that's like that's what I mean. I feel like his, in the first episode, he's this very, like, wide-eyed, like, super fascinated by, like, the trees and the cherry pie and the small-town charm. But he doesn't have, like, those... Like, that's his only quirk in the first episode, mm-hmm. really, is just that he's super enthralled with Twin Peaks and, you know. But in, in the second episode, he has that. I mean, he has the... Um, his breakfast order when he goes downstairs. mm mm-hmm. um,
0: I do really like that he, he talks, he mentions to Diane the Douglas furs, which is something he like, he learned from Truman. It's kind of cute. Yeah. He's like, he's like a child who just learned a new word, just really wants to use it. Douglas furs.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it's like. Um, yeah.
0: But yeah, his, his breakfast order, by the way, is awesome.
1: Like, I love I love what it. What
0: a man. That's perfect. He likes to bake it exactly how I like it. He gets the grapefruit and the coffee, like, or the grapefruit juice, like, uh, that is the ideal, like, lodge breakfast.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I, I would not order that breakfast order, but. Yeah,
0: but that's, uh, it's because you don't eat bacon.
1: I also don't like eggs over hard.
0: Oh, is that part of it? Yeah, ew, nasty, (laughs) (laughs) never mind. I take it back, Coop, you're a disgusting man.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, yeah, so so he goes downstairs, he orders breakfast, and then there's the weird, weird, like...
0: Audrey enters the room.
1: Audrey enters the room, and he just pauses and says, freshly squeezed about the grapefruits, just really slowly.
0: Yeah, just...
1: And it's, oh, man...
0: Very much centered on, yeah, her breasts. It's 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 an uncomfortable joke.
1: It's a very uncomfortable joke. Especially and
0: because she is 16? Yeah?
1: Yeah, I mean, she says 18 at some point in the series, but okay. I assume that she's lying. But I assume she's 17.
0: Okay, still.
1: Still, yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, 17, 18, it's still weird. And the thing about that, though, that I noticed is, like, I remembered, you know, like, Audrey being Audrey in that scene, right? And being really, like, both really flirty but also really weird when she's like, do your palms ever itch? But I forgot that, like, it's not just her. Like, that's not one-sided sexual tension, right? Like, Coop does the weird grapefruit thing, right? I mean, he's also clearly...
0: Yeah, he's playing very gentlemanly, but...
1: But Yeah, but he's yeah. also, like, definitely flirting back.
0: It's it's flirting, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and as, as I mentioned to you when we were watching it, uh, this all does, like, sort of contextualize stuff in the later seasons that makes it, like, very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Well, and, like, the thing is, is that I, like... I actually at one point had a conversation with someone where I was, like... When I first watched the series where I was... I mentioned, like, the ridiculous amount of sexual tension um, between Cooper and Audrey. And someone was like, she's in high school. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, like, I'm not being weird by seeing that. Like, that's in the show. Mm -hmm. It's weird that it's in the show. But, like, we're clearly supposed to pick up on that. Um, And it's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So after after they awkwardly flirt Coop heads over to the police station uh Andy is like watching people with blowtorches renovations <laughs> I think but it's not clear that. I'm not sure they're actually I think they're just firing up the blowtorches or the stage direction was like use the blowtorch on the ladder you're standing on <laughs> either way it's weird but Coop, Coop goes and sort of takes charge of the investigation starts telling people you know what what beats they gotta hit, uh, the f- clues they gotta collect, and and then Harry he really has to urinate <laughs> because all that good, no- great Northern coffee, it was yeah, so good, exactly. but it just went it just went right through the boy and he really he really has to tell him. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um...
0: There's a lot of weird slapstick that they're sort of trying out in this episode. The, I think some of it works and some of it is just like really off the wall, but this one cranks up the not necessarily the weirdness that you see in episode one but like the zaniness
1: yeah that well and that's like that's what i mean when i say that i feel like coop's quirkiness is more developed here because yeah you know in the in the last episode when he comes into the police station and starts you know talking he's like giving marching orders and I, he's kind of doing that here but he's doing it in a much more lighthearted way
0: um yeah he's he's like he's in with the crowd now yeah. After after one day.
1: One day, yeah. Which I, I think is maybe su- kind of supposed to be part of his character. Yeah. Um, that he just, like, forms these these connections to this place really quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then, then I think they cut directly into uh, Doc Hayward giving the autopsy report uh, for Laura Palmer.
1: <laughs> That's another thing that doesn't make sense about this being a town of 50,000 people is that Doc Hayward apparently has to do the autopsy. But he says he delivered Laura, so he's also the only OBGYN? Like, <laughs> does this town have one doctor? It you has all... a hospital.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that hospital has so much wood paneling. Who really who really knows if it's a real hospital? Um, but, well, he does say he, he had to actually excuse himself from doing the autopsy. He brought someone else in. And right, he, but it
1: still implies that that it would have otherwise been his job.
0: Yeah, I mean it's definitely weird. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I mean, I guess maybe he just had like a mid-career switch, like <laughs>
0: from from the town's only OBGYN to the town's only coroner. Um, yeah,
1: something
0: well. like that. Oh, yeah. While we're talking about the population of Twin Peaks, really quick, flashing back to the beginning, I did notice that this time the Twin Peaks title appeared over. Uh, the the credits scene of the sign for oh, Welcome to sign. Twin Peaks instead of over uh, a saw cutting a log, so it seemed much more like intentional. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: It yeah. it kind of put me off in the first episode because I, I thought doesn't it doesn't appear over the sign, so it was nice nice to know I'm not crazy.
1: Yeah, and I assume it'll probably I think it does that for the rest of the yeah the opening credits for the rest of the series. Although and no Netflix logo sure. this time. Oh hey. <laughs>
0: Uh I do think it says something though that like he he had to bring someone else in that like Laura's such a such an important figure in all of their lives that like it was just too being being apparently the only coroner in the town, it was like too horrible for him to do it that he had to like go to a adjoining municipality to get someone.
1: Right, because presumably if he is the only person that does this, he would have had to do it before for yeah. people he knows. Um, and I mean, I can I can understand, you know, Laura being his daughter's best friend makes it a little bit, you know, amps that up a little bit. But yeah, I think you're right. It, it indicates, you know, how, how much everyone is still just so shaken and rattled by this. Um,
0: so, yeah, he says that she had sexual relations with at least three men before she died. And she's got, like, She's got bite marks on her tongue. He says her self-inflicted. She's got like bruises and just like pretty, pretty horrible like wounds and, and stuff from from abuse and, and sexual abuse and and it's not yeah. it's not pretty. It is like it's a rough scene and it's really kind of strange coming right off the heels of like such a slapsticky feel-good like coop strolling in and you know yeah well especially down to business.
1: because especially because he says she bled out from multiple shallow wounds. Yeah. Right? It wasn't like she got accidentally strangled or...
0: Her neck was snapped. Yeah, it's like a painful...
1: Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it's it's really clear that this was like slow yeah. and brutal. Um, and I mean, just the number of, of shallow cuts that you would have to... that, that she would have to have had to, to bleed out completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it also it also to me sort of like it, it crystallizes the fact that this isn't just sort of like a weird, just the run of the mill serial killer who would you know, just stab someone. I mean, this is like very intentional. It wasn't a sort of hot blooded crime of insanity. This was like, you know, cold and and yeah, just yeah awful. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it's it's pretty brutal. Um...
0: And I, I think sort of once. Once you've watched the show a few times and you've gotten so far into just all the, all the intrigue and all the weird stuff that even comes into, the newest season, you lose track of the fact that like this is, this is like an awful, like serial sexual murder, that happened to like a seventeen year old, you know, and for all and for all the like weird black lodge, surrealist stuff like there's a very painful centered to it all.
1: Right, right. And the, you know, the way that the sort of the psychological, and I guess for the Black Lodge, the spiritual, right, like, I don't know, pain and trauma and all of that. I mean, it has, and and evil, it has real physical manifestations. Like, that's the thing.
0: The Garmambosia, one might say.
1: Right. But... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it would be easy for this to have been, like, some kind of, you know, not, like, less brutal (laughs) murder, right? Where she just, like, she does just get strangled, or she just dies, and it's not clear why. Um, And and then it's just revealed later that it's because of the Black Lodge or whatever. But, but I think that it's a real, like, I think it's a really good move on david lynch's part not to have that happen like to have these really like real physical brutal manifestations of of that through like the way that she died it's it doesn't make it it doesn't like let the viewers off the hook with making it easier to process by having Mm -hmm. it not be something so like horrifying yeah well it's not yeah go ahead
0: oh there's just i mean like there's there's elements of sort of like ritualistic killing in it with like the Mount of Dirt and, and leaving the half the heart necklace and the fire walk with me. But it doesn't feel like true detective where all the murders are like these like very done up, like culty black magic sort of like ritualistic killings where you just sort of watch it and you're like, okay, like I I guess the cult's the cult's going to kill another person. Like, no, it's just like, this is just like a really awful killing by like, you know, someone with no motive except, you know, pain and suffering.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Although I do like the first season of True Detective, it's not a bash against it, but whatever. <laughs> the number
1: of other shows you're reviewing in well, our Twin Peaks. Well, don't podcast.
0: don't let me start reviewing uh, Westworld season two because I finished it last night, and let me tell you, it's very bad. I, oh, I just did it. I just reviewed it. Westworld you did, season two. You just it did. sucks. We have God. recorded
1: two episodes of this podcast, and you've already reviewed three other shows.
0: Yep. I'll keep them coming. The leftovers, pretty satisfying overall. I was surprised. Damon Lindlof redeemed himself after Lost. Um, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to do so, it. So
1: <laughs> so then we we move to the scene with Leo and Shelly. And she's getting ready for work. Norma, I guess, is coming to, to pick her up. And...
0: Leo wants her to do the laundry.
1: Leo wants her to do the laundry. Leo is such a caricatured, like, asshole.
0: He's so like, so evil and bad.
1: But, like, he's not even... I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess there are some people who actually are just, like, assholes in that particular way. But he he's so much of a, of a jerk that it's almost not believable. Oh, it's not
0: believable at all.
1: Like, he... Right, I mean, I think there's some line. I don't remember if it's in the first episode or if this is in a later conversation between Shelly and Norma where Shelly says something about you know how when she first met Leo he was like this sweet guy with this flashy car who like you know kind of I assume like kind of won her over with like I don't know just like being cool or whatever and like no he didn't he couldn't have like how like the Leo that we see in this show cannot possibly be that same person yeah. that like Shelley talks about in that conversation with Norma. Um, it it doesn't make any sense. I mean,
0: yeah. Part of it part of it is like I can see the actor playing like kind of a dorky dude with a nice car who wins her over, but he really strikes me as kind of a dorky-looking dude. He doesn't actually strike me as being this lun- <laughs> lunatic abuser.
1: Yeah, and I think if if they set that up, right? If they had this this character of Leo who... If if they showed us some of that development from, like... Yeah, like re- or,
0: repressed kind of, like...
1: Yeah. Or even the scene where he tells Shelly, like, that he's, you know... He's going to stop by the diner later. And she t- he tells her to save him a piece of pie. Right? That the idea of that scene is obviously supposed to be, like... This is that other I don't want to say other side but like this is the like this is Leo pretending to be not a crazy abusive mm-hmm. asshole but it still feels really threatening and like that's the part that's not believable is is he had in order to be a realistic character like I feel like he has to be non-threatening in some context
0: yeah. you never you never get yeah Otherwise, you never get any it, sense of why she wouldn't leave him I mean like obviously yeah. or
1: I mean obviously cons- at this point she doesn't She doesn't leave him because he'd find her and, you know, beat the crap out of her. But, but why, you don't get any sense of why she didn't leave him, like, two days after they Yeah, well, I guess
0: also, like, it's, it's so clear that, like, everyone, all the, like, police and stuff are such good people in Twin Peaks that I feel like if you're, like, realistically, yeah, there's, there's, like, there's problems with leaving your abuser, but Twin Peaks is such a, like, it's an idyllic town that it's, it doesn't feel right that, like, everyone knows each other, but no one has picked up on the fact that Leo is, like, running a small criminal empire and, yeah, you know, doing, like, thousands and thousands of dollars in the drug trade. Like, and that Shelley wouldn't just yeah. be like, uh, Sheriff Truman.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is, like, Shelley has a very believable storyline that's told in a very unbelievable way, right? Like you write Shelley's storyline down, cause it's she she dropped out of high school, right? That's that's mentioned at some point, isn't it?
0: Yeah, if it isn't, I assume that's still the implication.
1: Yeah, and you know she marries this guy, and she says you know, like why why she initially was with him, and then you know she found out later that he's just a super abusive horrible person and now she's scared to leave right like that's that's a believable storyline because it happens all the time but the way that it's acted it's like this doesn't happen like this like it it feels very unbelievable
0: um but i think part of that is because and i said this before like this scene is really strikes me as daytime soap opera e as like parody It's hard to watch this and not, Mm. like, when she finds, so she goes to do his laundry and she finds, like, a big stain of blood on his jacket, and it's, like, it's played for that, like, da-da-da moment, but, like, he's so comically evil that, like, of, of course there's blood on his jacket, like, this guy's killing people every day, just, so, and it's, it's lit in this, like, very saturated way, this feels very much, like, sort of classic Lynchian small town daytime soap opera satire parody a lot of this episode does yeah that's true i had a hard time not laughing through some of this and i don't think that's the episode's fault i think it's kind of intentional
1: yeah no i think i think you're right and i think that the the thing that this episode is doing that maybe i'm not giving it credit for is that it's especially in that scene with leo where it's it's not you know it's not a commentary on the actual situation it's more of a commentary on like like you said the daytime soap opera portrayal of yeah. the situation, right? Because that is exactly how it would go in some ridiculous... Like, you know, in a slightly more understated way, that's exactly how it would go in some, like, bad soap opera. And then, like, he just really plays it up to show you how ridiculous it is.
0: I hope I haven't said something uncouth yeah. about people who are who are stuck in abusive relationships. I just meant to imply that if you're in Twin Peaks, like, go to Sheriff Truman.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's, that's what I mean, like, by that it's not believable is that it, it makes it seem like it would be easy to just leave yeah. that situation, right? It sets it up that it would be so easy for <laughs> Sheldon. There's
0: blood murder. on this jacket, Sheriff. Uh.
1: Yeah, she just, like, go to Sheriff room and be like, um, hey, you know, there's blood on my husband's jacket. Also, <laughs> He's definitely
0: a murderer. <laughs> is abu-
1: also, he's abusive and is doing thousands of dollars of yeah. drug trade. <laughs> Although I don't think she knows that, but still.
0: Um, so anyway. Ugh. Yeah, so they move from that to uh, James getting interrogated uh, about whether it's his motorcycle in the video that that Laura and Donna had had shot in the previous episode, and I it's weird. This scene is weird because Coop kind of goes back to what he was doing with like Bobby and Donna, where he's just like asking them why didn't you why didn't you tell anyone that you know you guys were were hooking up was it worth her life and stuff like that and it's it's weird that that's like question number two in this like serial homicide <laughs> interrogation yeah.
1: but i feel like that that kind of gets to what we talked about a little bit last time is that right like coop knows that it wasn't bobby and he knows that it wasn't mm-hmm. james because it's a serial killer so, I, I think, though, that, you know, like, he he brings them in, and they're both being ostensibly questioned for, for being suspects murder. in the murder. And so then when he switches to those questions so quickly, it's like, oh, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm clearing my name for murder, then I'll tell you anything. Whereas if he said, you know, you're not a suspect, we just want to find out some more information oh. about Laura to try to figure out what happened, then maybe they wouldn't, they would okay. be way more... Hesitant to okay. show, but, but to, yeah, I mean.
0: All right, I like that. You've changed my yeah. mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's. Yeah. Well,
0: plus, strategy. plus, I think you know, part of it, part of it just goes back to they're just they're using this scene as exposition for some of the drama, and they're, they're sort of hiding it in the interrogation.
1: Right, but I think I think it works. I mean, I think I that it's it's decently done.
0: Um, yeah. Then there's then there's a, a yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. God, there's a ridiculous flashback. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so weird.
1: So weird. It's weirdly lit. Yeah, it's weirdly It's, super,
0: it's weirdly... Uh, everything.
1: Laura's voice is even High-pitched more
0: High-pitched like and giggly. Yeah.
1: Breathy, yeah and,
0: yeah, and... It's super saturated. It's even more saturated than the Leo and Shelly scene. It's a little more grainy, so it's almost like it's another VHS recording. And Laura, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and Laura's what just like, like, why? Guess why I'm so happy. today? And James, James, intones in like the creepiest, like if, if anything is convincing me that James did it, it's that he says, because your skin is so soft and you smell so good, and like, it's, that's the kind of thing that if you're yeah, like, no, it's if so you've been married weird. for like thirty years, I can see that, but if you guys are like a newly newly hooking up couple in high school.
1: That's it's
0: really strange.
1: It's really weird. Yeah. And then
0: there's then there's the then there's a really sort of melodramatic scene that comes out of that where she like has the heart necklace and she breaks it in half and she gives I don't know if she actually gives it to him but you see her breaking the heart necklace and the audio editing is it's so that's so like soap opera that one's just like cranked up to like 15 on the on the weird daytime soap opera thing and i cracked up i was like uh, there's tears in my eyes i thought it was so funny
1: yeah no i i couldn't not laugh and it's definitely played for laughs it was just so yeah but it and it takes itself like like it takes itself so seriously which is what makes it so funny right like it's not like like this you go into this flashback and you're like okay like this is a flashback of like, this is James having a flashback about Laura. Like, this is going to be, you know... this There's going to be some kind of emotional resonance in this. Like, it sets you up to think that. And then it's just this weird, weird, ridiculous yeah. nonsense.
0: It's super overdone. It's very melodramatic. Um, it's, like, slightly slow yeah. mode when she breaks it and they, like, zoom. Uh, it's... Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's it's almost like it's telling you as the viewer, like... Yeah, just try, just try to take yeah. this seriously. Like, write this this soap opera construction. Just try to sit there and pretend like this is not the dumbest thing you've ever watched.
0: Um, maybe maybe Twin Peaks sucks. So. Does this show suck? <laughs> no, I know. No. Um, yeah, no, it, it takes itself seriously. It's 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 very it's like deadpan comedy instead of. It's not. It's not so much like mm-hmm, yeah. wink, winking at you the whole time about it. It's yeah. It, it plays yeah. it straight. And I think that's sort of why it's funny. Because it wouldn't be funny if it were wink, wink. We're like we're we're dissecting '90s soap opera. Like that's not.
1: Yeah. No. It's 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 funny almost in the same. Like it's funny in the kind of horrible way. It's it's funny to watch like ridiculous like actual ridiculous right wing Republicans try to put words into sentences oh no, that make sense and not we're getting political that, now and not just it's a good okay. analogy just let me go it's it's funny like in that way and not in the way that like watching the Colbert Report is funny right because that's all like wink wink nudge nudge like this
0: is yeah. a joke um what happens next
1: oh the the scene with Bobby and Mike
0: okay yes yeah yeah they're in jail
1: god um, you're you're i'm i'm in full agreement with you by the way that bobby is just the greatest character in this oh
0: he's show. so good in this show i like <laughs> he's i cannot so believe good. i did not love him more when i first saw it
1: yeah no when i first watched it i was just like boy this guy's a jerk like hate this guy and i mean i, I still kind of do but in like the best way possible
0: but he's um, so much fun oh my god
1: yeah is he Britney calling this, Mike it, Snake in that scene? Is that what he's saying?
0: I have no idea.
1: I think it's I think he's calling him Snake. I don't know why.
0: Well, I'm gonna differentiate since we have two mics and we'll get to that later, I'm gonna call Bobby's mic Snake Mike. Okay. Um,
1: That's good. Even if it's even if he's not saying Snake, we can just call him Snake Mike.
0: It's Snake Mike now. So Bobby and Snake Mike are in jail and they have a conversation that establishes that, like you know Bobby actually knows Leo not just because he is uh, messing around with Shelly on the side, but because he and Mike Snake Mike are uh, are involved with with Leo's uh, like illicit dealings. And for whatever reason, it's I get I'm never quite clear as to, like what the actual like underground politics are with all this stuff and why everyone's quite
1: yeah I'm not at each sure. other's
0: throats. But they owe him money. They owe him ten grand. They owe Leo, so.
1: Right. Obviously, we know that Mike and Bobby, Snake Mike and Bobby, are, like, like they're answering to Leo, right? Yeah. But, I mean, we don't really know who Leo answers to at this point in the episode. At we this don't point, even, yeah. Well, and I mean, even later, it's not, it's not clear exactly what the hierarchy is there.
0: Yeah, no. The whole, I guess we'll get there, but all the stuff with... One-Eyed uh, Jacks and the Renaults has never been clear to me at all.
1: Yeah, it's it's never clear, like, how that...
0: Maybe we'll understand it uh, this watch-through.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm already... I feel like I'm picking up on a lot more this time through. Um, but, yeah, so, anyway. The point here is that Bobby owes Leo... A bunch of money. $10,000. And Mike's because... gonna help,
0: because they're both in this.
1: Right, so. and... Yeah, and the $10,000 was... That was the money that was in Laura's safe deposit box. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like I like the line where Bobby's like, yeah, I was going to get it back from Laura today, but then she went and checked out on us, like, as if she wasn't brutally murdered. Yeah. Just like, you know, and as though she just, like, kind of went out of town and forgot to give them the money.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's classic Bobby. Yeah. Uh, so there's yeah. a... Then there's a scene, I guess we get... If they just cut back to the video of Donna and Laura dancing at the picnic. Mm-hmm. And they look like they're just tripping sack. Um, <laughs> they're just like... I'm really curious what the like the direction was for them for this. Just like, dance around and be really happy. <laughs> because they look like they're like 70s hippies at like, a Grateful Dead concert. And then it zooms on Laura's face... And we get like a very distorted voiceover of her saying "help me," and yeah. again, it's kind of wild. I cracked up.
1: Yeah, I mean, so much of this, this stuff with Laura is either right, like really, you know, really serious, really um, awful and horrifying and hard to process, and or it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that you know the right, like her, her, her voice and her appearance kind of play into that, too, that she's got that, like, that high, breathy voice that she's clearly, like, playing up for, that the actress is clearly playing up for this role, like, it's just, it's just so ridiculous at so many moments, and I think that really, like, helped this episode have a lot more movement, I guess, and feel a lot more, like, dynamic and a lot more, like, up and down than the first episode, right, because that first half of that first episode is just so depressing. Yeah. And here it starts to kind of poke fun at some of the... Without losing any of the seriousness, it starts to, to poke fun at some of the more ridiculous parts of this episode. Like, the mm. episode pokes fun at itself, kind of.
0: Um, we get Donna talking to her mom after that about mm-hmm. how she does not
1: feel that bad that Laura's dead because
0: she gets James now. She, could, she gets her man. And... God, Yeah, you know, that's she always wants,
1: struck me as a weird scene. She wants to feel to bad, but she's at, just so happy. At this point in the, at this point in the series, right? It's a day later. Like, it's a day later, right? Like if this happened, like six episodes in, even which really, I mean, still isn't that full, Like still isn't that long after the. After Laura dies, but this had happened a little bit later. But yeah, for this to happen, like literally, literally the morning after,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's wild. Yeah. Um, and I this this jumps ahead a little bit, but I I feel like part of the problem with it, with them moving that Donna and James plot line so fast, is that then we don't have anywhere for either of them to go really as characters there is and nothing else for them to do two. and then we get James's weird season 2 subplot because there's like what else are we gonna do with him we spent yeah. all of this time establishing this character and making him important but we 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 finished his plot line in the first three episodes of the show Yeah. and then there's nothing else for him to do uh, so, yeah. so we just have to like come up with something to do with this character and it's just bad uh um.
0: Yeah. So yeah, she starts like crying. It's a very weird scene. Um, yeah. But. Um. So it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of speed she, through some things. Oh.
1: Oh no, she just, um, you know, she says the, the thing about like it's like I'm having the most beautiful, beautiful dream, dream and the most horrible nightmare all at once. Just in case you weren't sure that you were watching a David Lynch TV yeah. Show.
0: So just s- sort of skipping ahead with the plot. Um, they go to see Big Ed. Uh, they confirm James is innocent. And then Coop gets a call from Albert. And we haven't actually seen Albert yet, so he goes off screen and answers the call while Truman and Ed sort of have a conversation. They seem to be kind of in on something. Ed mentions mm-hmm. being on stakeout and says that he doesn't think that he like got beat up by Mike and Bobby because they beat him up, but because he thinks his beer was drugged and that a guy named Jacques Renault. Uh, was tending bar and, and sort of as we mentioned the Renault's will come in later. But I do really like how they seed some things because then James is released to Ed and he mentions yeah. the Book House Boys.
1: Well and and Hawk Hawk gives Ed the there's like they they give each other a little signal there. Oh, okay. That I didn't catch ah, I must have either missed that the too. first two times. Yeah, they do like the I mean I guess it must just be the bookhouse boys like uh. sign thing, but it's like a yeah, they both put like a finger up to their like temple and they just kinda of run it down their face. Um, okay. Huh. Yeah, so that's that's interesting, like that that's starting to get threaded in there um even this early.
0: Do we uh Norma and Nadine run into each other at like the supermarket or yeah. something? And I don't know. It's a weird, very drapes centric conversation that they have.
1: Yeah, that's very weird. I don't know that there's really anything to say about that scene other than... We can talk about Nadine when
0: she gets a little more relevant.
1: Yeah, she's just
0: It's a bad character. Let's move on. Um, So, yeah, then we cut to We cut to Josie. Oh, uh, this is my least favorite moment of the episode. Mike and Bobby are released, and then Coop says something about something they have to do, and Sheriff Truman's like, uh... You know, I'm starting to feel a little bit like Dr. Watson. And then it's a very obvious cut to commercial. Uh, It's so bad. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially because, like, I think we talked about this at some point when we were talking about the last episode, but that, like, the nice thing about Coop is that he's not, like... Like, he's just good at his job. Like, he's not some, like... Like, it's not because he's, like, a super genius with a photographic memory. Like, he's just good at what yeah. he does. And so, yeah, that scene with Harry kind of, like, undercuts it in a weird way. But, like, not really because we hadn't had all of the, like, Sherlock Holmesy crazy genius with a photographic memory shows yet. Yeah. which So it's weird watching this in the context of those, right? Because I'm sure at the time it was just like, oh, he just means he feels like an undervalued sidekick yeah. which is also weird but I think it would have been less weird like had that
0: you're right dude. had a
1: Sherlock Holmes adaptation not become kind of a genre of crime show
0: ooh okay you're you're making some you're making some good points alright I like this it's retroactively bad it's still bad it's just it's such an obvious like I don't even think he wrote that line or did, sorry Mark Frost wrote that line because it's just it's so obviously a cut to commercial line ugh yeah, um, yeah well I, that's the other yeah, thing really hate that but, yeah,
1: because for the most part, there's not a lot of that in this show. No, like, I can't it's hard tell, to watching it on Netflix, where they would have cut commercial. Yeah,
0: except for right there. Um, yeah. But so so along with sort of Coop being just like, I guess sort of Sherlocky in this one, he does uh, when they go to visit Josie uh, to talk about the fact that I guess Laura oh, was yeah. teaching her English, and they Which emphasize doesn't
1: make that, any sense to me because her English is fine. Her English is
0: fine, but they have they have her make a hilarious. Just, just totally funny, little slip up on in her English, and Pete just gets to like nicely and cute old maningly correct her, and it's just, uh oh, it's very tone deaf.
1: Yeah, then, no, I mean, I think yeah. like
0: that. She speaks perfect English. Like
1: <laughs> her English is perfectly fine. I don't know what, like, yeah, it's it's a weird, it's a weird choice. It's a weird character choice for. I mean it's not weird, it makes perfect sense, it's just bad.
0: Yeah, I guess this is pre-Rosetta Stone, so you know. Um, but but yeah, so Coop Coop does point out after they talk to Josie about Laura, uh it's like, oh, how long have you been seeing her, Harry? And it's like, man, he's so good at reading people. Yeah. What what great personality... person what Which, I mean I mean we already words. know this as
1: like viewers of this show, right? But I mean when when Harry's like how did you know? I'm like, eh, it's pretty obvious. Like, even, I don't know, again, I mean, we, like...
0: Yeah, if you actually watch Harry's body language when they walk into the room and they sit down, I actually think they they really sell it on that one. I actually went went back and watched that because I was a little bit unconvinced about it. But I actually bought it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, Um, he does have really clear, like, yeah.
0: Oh, and of course, we can't forget, Pete serves them coffee, for their interrogator their their questioning mm-hmm. and lo there's and behold a, there's a there's fish There's
1: a fish in, in the percolator. percolator
0: all right i'm sure <laughs> everyone really needed to hear us fucking say that obnoxious shit but yeah, yeah classic I, line
1: well, every everything he says in this show everything his character i i mean i guess it's just his delivery of it but they just all have that like
0: yeah well, so I mean, so Jack Nance was the like the original actor that did all the David Lynch stuff. He's the guy from Eraserhead, so he's been with David Lynch from the beginning, and yeah, he shows and, he shows up in all his movies. Uh, he's in and, Blue
1: Velvet too. Yeah, right? he
0: is. Um, so I think you know, I think David Lynch just likes him and just wants to bring him on to do stuff. You know, I think they're yeah. just friends and they have a good time being around each other on set. But I actually I love that they they don't play the slapstick as a lot of shows I think especially back then would play it with like them spitting out the coffee spit take but they hold on them as they both just uncomfortably have to swallow Yeah their sip of fishy coffee. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, I know, I love that I love that scene.
0: Uh Catherine and Josie have like a kind of a threatening ominous phone conversation. Didn't really catch what they were talking about. I didn't care. Um,
1: yeah, just that like with the how much money. They yeah, cost.
0: Packard Sawmill stuff, um, and then leading it, off that, we then show that Ben Horn and Catherine Martell are sleeping and plotting together, and they're plotting stuff with that Packard Sawmill.
1: Yeah, um, and again we get back into this weird like
0: daytime soap opera.
1: Well, yeah, that for sure. I mean, this more than any other scene. Yeah, feels like that, right? Like it's, God, it's. They're like so mustache,
0: the t- yeah, they're mustache-whorlingly evil.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's... And they're both and that so, way, so... Yeah, and it's so over-the-top, and it's, like, there's that, that, like, weird expository dialogue where, mm-hmm. um, Catherine's like, you know, it's only been an hour, like, you know, I remember when we used to take a whole afternoon, like, thanks, we all needed to know how long you guys have been sleeping together.
0: Yeah, and the whole, like, business or pleasure, I'm yeah, talking well, about the Packard Sawmill.
1: Uh. <laughs> yeah and so but yeah so we get back into that kind of weird like idiomatic like catchphrasey i don't even know what to talk like what to call it um talk where like because katherine has that line um i'm, I'm gonna look because i need to i need to remember exactly what it was um, because it's so great but she says do, 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 oh do, 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 do that she's not a pea brain chambermaid looking for a tumble in the broom closet. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. and then and then there's that um
0: Maybe it's cuz they work in hotels. So they're just very familiar with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean
0: she's catering to Ben's uh Ben Horns like area of expertise. Area of expertise.
1: Chambermaids and broom closets. Yeah. Um god. God, he's so skeezy. Um But he's
0: so f- he's like they don't make him, like, detestable until later. Yeah, he's, no, he's I mean... Still, I, he's funny in the same way that Bobby is funny. That it's just yeah, very I fun mean, to watch this guy do his thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that, that line where, where you know, she says business or pleasure, and he's like, it's all the same to me, sweetheart, or something like yeah, well, that. Like, that... That's... He's just such... Like, he's he's a... His character is like, skeezy in such a kind of classic way, you know what I mean? Where he's just, like, the the stereotypical, like, exploitative businessman Mm -hmm. womanizer jerk. I mean, he's just, he's so tropey at this point still.
0: Yeah, so then we move to Donna showing up to see Sarah Palmer, who is, like, really, really still in shock. Um, She just seems to be kind of losing it, and at one point she, like, grabs Donna starts saying, oh, Laura, it's you, Laura, and Donna's just sort of horrified. Right, because we
1: have, like, Laura's face superimposed on. It's interesting that we see all of this from, like, that it's kind of shot from Sarah Palmer's perspective, Mm -hmm. right? That scene of Donna where, like, her face turns into Laura's face. Oh, did I not? Um,
0: I must have, like, looked down to type a note, because I forgot that that superimposition happened.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. So it, hmm. it becomes, they, like, kind of yeah put Laura's face over Donna's face.:
0: This is another thing where I, I wonder whether this was like really trippy back in 1990 1991.:
1: Yeah, I imagine it must have, it must have been at least more than it seems today. Sorry, my, sure. our, our
0: age is showing, I guess, but so and then <laughs> but then, even even trippier, through sort of the eyes of Sarah Palmer, we see behind Donna crouching. The figure of
1: Bob. Bob. Yeah. Or Bob. I had to, like brace <laughs> I had to, like, brace myself, because I knew that was coming. Yeah. And it just... I always have to... I, I've seen the show enough now that I know when those scenes are going to happen, um, where it, like, cuts to, to Bob. And, like, I actually have to prepare myself, because even still, if I don't, like, brace myself for it, it will still freak me out.
0: These scenes are terrifying. Oh,
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, he's just... He's just so creepy. Yeah, Frank Silva like,
0: is a scary-looking dude. And he really
1: is. I mean, I absolutely see how they. Yeah, I absolutely see does. how like they saw him right like on set somewhere, and were like, "Yeah, Put we're going to use you for this." <laughs>
0: um, yep. Yeah, I really, I really think the fact that he's he's like crouching there and that he looks very animalistic, even in his posing, mm-hmm. is really interesting. He's not just. It's not just you don't just see him standing there and go like oh it's it's like a it's super a creepy dude. It's not like it's, oh that's the supernatural murderer. You're like what the fuck is this dude doing like yeah. crouching. It's really cool and it's, there's scarier scenes with him. This one is more tame now that you know it's the first one and I've seen it a few times but uh later on in the show there's some legitimately freaky parts. Yeah, even no, even I mean, in the first season or two. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, right, I assume that that part is also shot from Sarah Palmer's perspective mm-hmm. still, because nobody else, well, Donna is facing the wrong way, but Leland, <laughs> Leland, interestingly, doesn't see him. Um, And I wonder, like, that's another thing that's interesting in the context of the new season. Mm-hmm is that we have these scenes that are shot from I mean cuz this isn't the only one right there's no. there's a ton more this happens throughout the the first season especially but that we have these scenes that are shot specifically from Sarah Palmer's perspective mm-hmm. um in in the context of of the the return that's interesting
0: yeah more on so, that later
1: more on that when we get there
0: so so uh, so Sarah Palmer screams, it's a classic Grace Zabriskie, like, scream, it's awesome. Horrifying. Yeah, Leland comes running, um, and we cut to uh, Hawk talking to at Pulaski's parents, who say that she worked as a perfume counter girl at Horn's department store, and you betcha it's the same horn as Ben Horn, so they sort of tie that little so. thing in. And that, again... He
1: just owns the whole town. Yeah, he
0: just owns the whole town. But I liked it, again, there's seeding things that happen later on. And I actually hadn't noticed all of this seeding when I first watched it. And it makes some of the weirder plot lines, like the Horns Department Store plot line, feel a little bit more earned, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I still think some of them yeah. are kind of weird, but it's, it's, it's nice to see that there's, like, there was some real thought put into how they're going to sort of start these, these arcs. Um, yeah there's yeah. a lot I mean, more weaving clearly than...
1: yeah it's all clearly very intentional and i think that makes that makes me also like feel a little bit more forgiving of of the places where it does mm-hmm. something seem to happen really suddenly or it just gets a little bit weird or ridiculous or
0: dick tremaine um uh, <laughs> i have no idea when he actually joins the cast of the show so i'm, I'm hoping it's not not for a while um Hopefully yeah. get to put that I off as long as possible. Yeah. <laughs> but Hawk gets distracted uh, by a guy who walks out of the elevator with only one arm, and we know that this is Mike, not Snake Mike. Uh, and Hawk sort of follows him through the hospital. There's some really cool blue lighting they've got going on. It feels very eerie. Uh, yeah. And then he just disappears.
1: Yeah. Which
0: Mike, not Hawk. Hawk just can't find him.
1: Right. <laughs> Um, but like, there's there's nothing ominous about it except that it's like, shot we that know way, it's, Yeah, it's shot that way. Yeah, I mean, it could just be a guy walking down a hallway. And I mean, the fact that he has one arm obviously it's a hospital is notable. I mean. But well, fair enough. <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, no, I think I think the 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 blue lighting and and the way it's shot and just the fact that Hawk seems. You know, not no, no pun intended, but almost sort of supernaturally drawn to just follow this guy that he glimpses right. coming out of the elevator, um, mm-hmm. and then the guy just disappears. And I think they hold on the sign of like pointing to like morgue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing is that it's hard to tell with with any of this what's supposed to be significant and what's just atmosphere.
0: Yeah, what's right? just weird David Lynch stuff. Um, right,
1: because this scene. It's not ominous, except that it's shot that way, and I don't know whether it's—I well, I mean, I, I do—but you don't know <laughs> as you watch it whether it's shot that way because it's significant or whether it's just like this is more kind of David Lynch's weird world building. Yeah, like the dancing um, kid, just you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just
0: we do see we do see, uh, Maik, not Snake Mike—in uh, very <laughs> briefly coming out of the elevator in the previous episode uh, when they first meet with Jacoby. So I guess if if eagle-eyed viewers would have. Yeah, Maybe you know that,
1: that he's but... he's been in there. But again, even even his presence as a character, right? I mean, is this just like.
0: Yeah, is this just, just some.
1: Is he any more significant than the Log Lady? Exactly, is like, yeah. Is this anything, or is this just like, this is a weird town and there's weird people yeah. in it?
0: I like the comparison of the Log Lady. That's good. Yeah. But then we get a scene uh, of Audrey playing music and dancing in Ben Horn's office, and it's the classic. It's the classic Audrey dance. Uh, yeah. Totally iconic. And then Ben comes in and, and berates her because she sort of scared off the Norwegians by by saying right. that Laura Palmer had been killed.
1: Yeah. I, I love the dynamic between the two of them in that scene. It's just...
0: They're so catty.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's so... It feels so authentic. You know, they, they just both, both act it so well, um, I think. But until... Until Ben Horn makes that comment about like you know, Laura died two days ago. I lost you two years ago. <laughs> what does that mean, Ben Horn? What does that mean?
0: It, what he's just, he's just an honest man trying to connect with his daughter, and she's she's pushing him away.
1: Well, that's the thing is like I, it, there's that like moment where it's supposed to be. I guess like oh, what am I gonna do? You know, with this, you're you're so rebellious and you push me away, and it's like. Ben, you don't like your daughter any more than she likes you. Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> and it's also it's also weird just, like, we know that he's a bad person, so we don't feel we don't feel bad for him. Like, of course, I don't Audrey, feel bad for either. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just like of course like, Audrey doesn't like him, and of course he doesn't like her.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're just they're both. I mean, you know, she gets a little bit more slack for being a seventeen-year-old girl who. At the very least, classmate, if not friend of hers, has just been brutally murdered, right? Like,
0: oh, and not and not a creepy old rapist man. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> what a double standard.
1: <sighs> yeah, like I, I have a little bit more sympathy for Audrey, but oh, for sure. But they're they're both just like. They're terrible. They're both terrible. Yeah, at this point, I mean, yeah. Okay, and then we have this scene of. Of Major Briggs. Oh, it's awesome. And Bobby. Forgot how so, cool well, this scene is. Okay, so before we dive into the scene, so, as I'm like looking through our notes and we're talking about this, I'm realizing there's a lot of like parent-child interactions here in this episode, right? I mean, there's the scene with Donna and her mom, there's the scene with Audrey and Ben Horn, there's the scene with um, Bobby and his parents, that like, in the last episode, in the first episode, it felt like, you know, we had these characters... Of like Donna and Bobby and Audrey, and then we had all these characters that were their parents, but now they're actually like interacting with each yeah. other um, in a way that I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think so. I was, I think the way that ma- like Major Briggs is very polite lecture builds with this music behind it until Bobby, you know, just as a fuck you puts a cigarette in his mouth and Major Briggs, he's had this, like, sort of very righteous, you know, kind of, like, undertones of of sort of, like, Christianity and this very, like, thought-through sort of speech, just, like, slaps Bobby across the face and and sends a cigarette flying into his mom's meatloaf or whatever it <laughs> God, is. God, that's
1: so great. It's such a good scene. Yeah, and it, I think it's just really interesting how that parallels with, like, I mean, I guess it, in the it's it's more in the last episode. Um, right, that scene of Donna and Doc Hayward after she sneaks out of the house, mm-hmm. right, and how he responds to that, and then how Ben Horn responds to Audrey, and then how Major Briggs responds to Bobby. Yeah, like it's it's these weird, interesting, like you know, Doc Hayward who's like actually super sympathetic and understanding. Um, I mean, both of Donna's parents are, and then Ben Horn who's just like clearly a jerk. And then Major Briggs, who's, like you said, he's got this very, like, you know, calm, mild-mannered, like, even-toned righteousness about him. And then he just loses it. You
0: know? <laughs> am I am I making up the Christian undertones? Oh, no. Okay. I mean,
1: I mean it, it opens with him, like, saying Oh, they're, like praying, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Which, I mean, I guess, like, I mean, that's not, maybe that's not, like, super significant. Maybe that's just the, like, supposed to be kind of just a character detail. But I think... I think then, with combined with the rest of that, that it is very, yeah, that kind of sets the tone for for the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought, yeah, with the music and the swelling and just how it was written, it felt very sort of like a righteous kind of thing. And I think it works too when you look at it in the larger story, because when I first watched this, you know, obviously Bobby's a jerk, but I was just I was younger and I was kind of like, ah, oh, come on, Major Briggs, geez, stop with the stop with the dad lecture. But I think yeah. it does it does kind of. Show him to be a character with, like, with like who's actually like r- really intelligent, well spoken, and you know they kind of play him like a buffoon a little bit, but he's like a good dude who like yeah, kind of yeah, gets it. Yeah, it sets um, yeah
1: it sets up his character really yeah. well. Um, and 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 this like his whole speech about you know it's in it's in the nature of you as a young man to rebel. It's in the nature of me. As your father to contain that rebellion. I mean, that almost gets at some of the, like, Buddhist undertones that come in, like, much more clearly <laughs> later in the show. Um, in that it's, he's he's talking about things, like, you know, like, being in their nature. It's possible that I'm... I'm... <laughs> That I'm pulling something else from Intro to Asian Religions.
0: Okay. Well.
1: Spring 2018, but, but whatever. I, I,
0: I think like when you listen to what he's like saying, he's not like he's not being a jerk. Like Bobby, Bobby was just in jail and like he's being really mild mannered. I think just yeah, looking at it with like the return and sort of what you see of his character, I guess in backstory, it I think it sets yeah. it a lot better for why this is like sort of an important character who gets to do stuff. Um and it's just such a well, just a well sort of choreographed scene. Um, anyway, Coop and Truman go to the Double R Diner, and they get some damn fine cherry pie, and they see the log lady. Yeah. And Coop asks Norma about the Meals on Wheels that Laura was doing, and that kind of sets off that whole subplot. I guess this episode is really is about sort of getting all the subplots rolling, huh? Yeah. Um,
1: well, that's what I was saying. It moves really quickly from scene to scene, just because it's it's picking up so many yeah. threads, it's kind of showing us why all those characters that we met in the pilot map. Yeah, like, Ooh,
0: good way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, and then the log lady comes over, and
1: I like that every time I make a point, you compliment me on on having I made think a good point. Points.
0: I think I'm just I'm just spitting nonsense. I'm not being here. sarcastic. It's very um, validating. You're like and I'm I'm thriving. things. Um, yeah. The, the log lady comes over and. Says that her log saw something out of the murder, and when Coop asks what that was, she says to you know of course ask the log, right.
1: and Coop looks like like he's almost about yeah. to too, but then he hesitates for a second. What if he
0: had? How how radically different would this story of Twin Peaks have been?
1: Would the log have answered? Because she says one day my log oh, will that's have something true. to say about that. You're right.
0: Hmm. And I guess one day her, her but log will does have
1: something to say. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say it does. That does come back.
0: So. I guess until much later in the series, the log lady really does seem like one of those extraneous, quirky characters, and kind of yeah. is. I think it's kind of cool how yeah there's a there's a well, blurred line think, there with like how how much these people sort of play into the story.
1: Yeah, and it it seems to me at least that you know I mean I I don't know what the what the sort of you know end game for this was for the show was at this point like when they were writing this episode, but it. It does seem like she is just kind of thrown in there. And then eventually, like, they found a way to, that it made sense for her to be more significant. But yeah, I think she does at this point feel very much just like, yeah, kind of tone setting as far as what, like what kind of place Twin Peaks is.
0: So we get a scene of of Leo beating Shelly, or implied to beat Shelly for losing one of his shirts. And I guess it's, I guess Mm -hmm. it's the shirt that had the blood stain on it.
1: Yeah, because because he looks in his truck yeah, and it's okay. not there, and then he looks in the washer and it's not there, and he doesn't look in the drawer, which is where she put it. Okay. Which, oh boy, well, I, like watching her do that, I was like, oh, don't like don't do that. <laughs> yeah, this is
0: another this another weird Leo scene because he like puts he puts like, soap in his sock soap and like twirls it around, to... and they've got
1: it's very premeditated, which is. I mean, yeah, seems she's weird. just
0: carrying around soap and sock.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean like, does he That's the thing that I don't understand about Leo's character. Like, is he going around just constantly like prepared for the next <laughs> oh, time he feels like he needs to be his wife? <laughs> no, I mean seriously like that that's no, how it it's is. played. You're right.
0: Like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> which which seems which seems like that can't be how it works, but I don't know. <laughs> Again, that's just another part of his character that, that just seems, like, almost unbelievably just, like, straight-up yeah. evil.
0: Cartoon villain. I mean, it oh, doesn't matter yeah. in the end, because we all know what happens to Leo.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> James, James goes over to Donna's place for dinner, which I thought was a little sudden.
1: <laughs> yeah, that seems... I mean, it was was it not literally that morning? Yeah. That Donna was talking yeah, about. Yeah, like, it was literally it. the
0: night before that they kissed for the first time.
1: But I mean, he's not over there in the context of them dating. Is he not? I mean, he is. He he is. But like, I, I don't think it's. I don't know that it's necessarily presented that way.
0: I feel like the only one who doesn't know is Doc Hayward, though.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Which I guess maybe is why it's not like openly. Yeah. Also, she never breaks up with Mike. Like, that's the thing that boggles my mind about this whole series, is they never actually break up. They just kind of stop dating. Yeah, well, <laughs>
0: yeah, sometimes Sometimes I mean, it's as much as you can hope for.
1: <laughs> you just, I mean, you'd, I'd, you'd just think that at, one, at some point one of them would say something. Yeah, well,
0: that's why it's hilarious, because Mike and Bobby, like, drive by the house. I don't know why they're there. Or how they would know James was inside from just sitting outside. But they're both like, damn. Well, they probably saw his bike. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But they're both like, damn, James, like, (laughs) James took both our girls. And, like, I guess I'm sitting there going, like, well, yes. Fair enough. You kind of, maybe you should be kind of pissed off at this guy. (laughs) Granted, you two are both assholes, but, you know, there's a certain logic to it. James is kind of, (laughs) kind of swooping. There's.
1: Boy,
0: there's a joke I could make there, but I won't. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> see, I got the joke, and now I'm glad that all of our listeners can sit here going, What, huh? What weird interpersonal fact are they referencing that I'll never understand? Um.
1: Um. <laughs> well.
0: So, to close out the episode, we see Jacoby listening with, like, one headphone on to mm-hmm. a recording of Laura that she must have made as his patient uh, which is something that he mentioned in the previous episode Interesting she's saying that oh James is so nice but he's so dumb and that's why she needs Jacoby um, but she's mentioned that she's going to go meet a mystery man in the woods and right before we hear her go on he puts on the other headphone and we just see his reaction shot to listening to it.
1: Yeah um, which that's I forgot that that happened. I love it. It's whatever classic it is that she says, we don't hear. Um,
0: and um, that's that's like that's the kind of like weird soap opera Twin Peaks drama that I'm here for. Like I love I love that as a way to like it. it maintains the central story of it, and it perpetuates yeah. sort of a mystery beyond the subplots, which are a lot of what's going on in this episode. Yeah,
1: I mean it. it does this episode does circle back at the end, um, especially when he opens the the coconut to to show the other half of her necklace. Um, yeah,
0: and then immediately then, cut the credits.
1: Yeah, which I think like that that maintains the the mystery aspect of Twin Peaks, right? The straight-up, like, who killed Laura Palmer mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, because now, was it Jacoby? Does Jacoby know who did it if it wasn't him? Like, we don't really know what's going on. And I'm realizing that since he's the person who took the... The necklace in the last scene, right, which we now know, mm-hmm. um, that that both of the first two episodes have ended on a shot of Jacoby. Hmm. Yeah, and since the last one, yeah, ends with him taking the necklace.
0: Um, but I think he's he's posed. He's got like his Hawaiian shirt on. And he's got this coconut, and he leans back into his chair, and he's sort of laying down, and he's holding the coconut like down by his like his crotch. And he's listening to Laura, who's got the breathy voice on. And it's it's really, it's, it's. I thought it was very masturbatory. Like, he's very creepy in this scene. Like, mm-hmm. it's very but not okay.
1: Less... Oh, yeah, no, he's still super creepy. He's less straight up crazy. Yeah, then. I mean, mostly because he doesn't talk. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, then, yeah, then it's a cut to credits. And who knows? Next episode, will we get yeah. a reveal? Is it ever explained how he gets the heart? Like, how does he just follow them?
1: He must just follow them. I don't know how he knows that where they go. Yeah, like
0: what exact 3 inches of dirt they buried it under? Yeah,
1: it's very weird. It's a, um
0: Yeah, it's strange. And I
1: also I still don't know why the necklace matters so much. I have to like
0: Yeah, David, why does the necklace matter so much?
1: Why does the necklace matter so much? I mean, not to the show, but just to like to everyone in the show, right? Like why again the necklace only matters because they decided that the killer must have the other half of it they have no basis for that assumption
0: yeah a more realistic if assumption would be that her boyfriend has it. it
1: yeah like if she was wearing it when she died then that's why her half of it is there yeah. and then the other half is somewhere else like it's not like she was wearing both halves of it when she died maybe that's the thought process is that like the killer broke in half the crime scene that doesn't make any sense
0: it's, yeah, it's, like, they've just fundamentally misunderstood how, like, sweetheart jewelry works.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing I cannot get over in this show, is, like, the, everything else, right, either makes sense or is set up in such a way that I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. This thing with the necklace doesn't make any sense.
0: So that's... A, Why
1: did they decide that it mattered? That's our review of so episode
0: two. This thing with the necklace yes. doesn't make any sense, David. Um, yeah, I'm, well, okay, so... So, so yeah, a review okay. of episode 2.
1: Thoughts? Oh, like I
0: said before, I think, you know, looking back over my notes and just sort of talking through it, I you know, it's clear that this is, yeah, exactly what you said, where they show you where all the subplots are going to come in and why these characters that we saw and were sort of introduced to rapid fire in the first episode are going to matter. I think it's good for that. Yeah. I think it totally leans into some of its zaniness. Uh, it sets the tone more characters feel a little more formed, less less prototypical than they did. Yeah, if you know, if you liked the first episode, this is more of the same. hmm I think it doesn't have as much of the surrealism that it could, but they build to that. And it you know
1: Yeah, but I mean you've got that big moment with Laura's face and then Bob. Yeah. Right. The kind of I mean that's, yeah, that's what that's need in this yeah. episode. So yeah.
0: I liked it. Is, is that surprising yeah. to anyone listening? I like the second no, episode I, of my favorite show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that this, like, you know, I remember the first episode so distinctly. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really remember how much of the, like, how much of what I remember from Twin Peaks is then also from the second yeah. episode. Yeah, a lot of what um, I
0: thought maybe happened in the first happens in this one.
1: Yeah, or or things that I thought were more spread out mm-hmm. over the the course of the um, the season.
0: Yeah, things are things do sort of get going fast.
1: Well, the I mean the other thing is too is that the first season only has eight episodes, mm-hmm. the pilot and then episodes one through seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, and then it does that for the rest of the season too. If you look at the Wikipedia page, but anyway, please don't remind me. And then the but yeah I mean so there's right there's there's 22 episodes in the second season and there's eight episodes in the first. So I mean the stuff that happens in the first season happens really quickly. I'm or there's a, there's at least a lot in each kind of packed mm-hmm. in each episode.
0: And mm-hmm. yeah I think I think one of the strengths of this is that sort of like a page turning detective novel. this episode leaves me wanting more, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not tired of yeah. the madcapness or the The extraneous subplots this is like man i i want to know about these characters and who was this freaky man
1: yeah well that's the thing it it has that freaky
0: men there's a lot of them in this show
1: (laughs) it has that quality of of kind of the like it has that plot quality right that does keep it driving Mm -hmm. forward so so all right
0: from all of us here at still untitled podcast uh yeah thank you for listening and we will see you next week with Twin Peaks Episode 2, Episode 3. <laughs> <The> third
1: episode. <sighs> Zen or the skill to catch a killer, right? Um, follow us on Twitter. Yeah. We'll have a Twitter by the time this goes up. Sure will. And I'll, I'll make sure of that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I have, I have no idea what it will be because I don't know what Twin Peaks-related Twitter handles are available or what the title of this podcast is yet.
0: So with all that said, go enjoy a damn fine cup of coffee, and we'll see you next time.